Welcome back to University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Paul McDivitt, Communications Specialist here at U of M Extension. Today on the podcast, we're talking about fertilizer prices and supply chain issues. We have four guests on the podcast today. Can you each give us a quick introduction? I'm Brad Carlson. I'm an Extension educator. I work out of our regional office in Mankato. I work statewide part of our water resources group, and I uh, have been talking a lot to farmers recently about uh, how they're going to be adjusting their management relative to fertilizer price. Yeah, Paul, I'm Jim Carlson. I'm manager, I'm the VP of agronomy for uh, United Farmers Co-op in South Central Minnesota. My name is Russ Quinn. I'm an ag market reporter for DTN, the progressive farmer based out of Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, One of my Areas that I watch closely as we track retail fertilizer prices, mainly across the Corn Belt. And we've done that since uh, November of 2008. And in addition to all that, I also farm uh, about 35 miles north of Omaha with my family. We grow corn and soybeans, and we also have a small cow-calf herd. I'm Josh Linville. I'm the director of the fertilizer division for StoneX Financial Inc. FCM division. Uh, I'm here in Kansas City, Missouri. I oversee the uh, fertilizer group. Great. So uh, starting off, where are fertilizer prices right now and how do they compare to the recent past? Well, I guess I'll go ahead and, and start here. Um, we we at DTN track the eight major retail uh, fertilizer prices. That'd be DAP, MAP, Potash, Urea, 1034-0, Starter, and Hydra's 28% and 32%. Um, right now with our uh, retail prices, and we get these prices from retailers, uh, uh, mainly across the Corn Belt. We have about 300 retailers that'll give us prices. Um, some will give us prices every single week. Some will give us once a month and, and somewhere in between there is everybody else. But looking at uh, the current retail fertilizer prices that we have, uh, four of the eight major fertilizers are at all time highs right now. Um, leading the way would be anhydrous. Uh, the average price, the national average price that we have for anhydrous is at $1,113 a ton. And then UAN 28 and 32 are both at all time highs as well. UAN 28 is currently at 545 a ton and 32% is at 604 a ton. The other fertilizer that's at, currently at all-time high, as far as that, our, our data set is, is urea, and urea is at 820 a ton right now. And the other four fertilizers, uh, they're not exactly low either, but they're not at quite at all-time highs. Uh, potash is at 750 a ton, MAP is at $900 a ton, DAP is at $814 a ton, and then 1034-0 starter is at $702 a ton. And Jim and Brad, what are you guys seeing in uh, South Central Minnesota in terms of prices and supplies? Yeah, this is Jim. So um, just looking, I'm just looking at my price sheet as he's going through those numbers and um, they coincide pretty close to where where we have our current prices out. Now, I think there's sometimes a lag between Russ, what's what's reported and really in what's happening, especially when the markets are moving so fast. Um, The challenge with the retail business is um, normally retail prices are put off their based off what what the individual retailer buys at, right? So it's not necessarily always off replacement cost. But in these cases, you know, most of the people that lived through 2008 when kind of the same 
dynamic happened, you know, different, different factors causing it, but <clears throat> most of the people that live through that are being very cautious now. So they're following replacement as, as close as they can, but still trying to be fair to their, in our case, of being a co-op to their patrons, right? So um, I think, uh, Rush, you're very close on those numbers. Um, ammonia today in Southern Minnesota is gonna be uh, two or $300 higher than that though, if you're buying off replacement. So um, most, of, most of us have moved through our contracts that we have, and now we're just buying spot and back-to-backing if we're doing any additional sales and you're in the 14 to $1,500 range for the most part now. So, which is a little scary. Yeah, I wrote an article last week, just kind of looking at, uh, I think folks are probably familiar with the use of price ratios between the price of nitrogen and the price of corn for making rate decisions. And so it's, it's uh, germane to discussing a management of nitrogen when to, to be talking uh, with, about the price. And so I did some calling around and, and that is what I found was anywhere from 1250 to 1400. And, and uh, so, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that it's advanced a little bit. Um, you know, the other, the other nitrogen types, that doesn't surprise me either. Although uh, we do not uh, recommend applying those types of fertilizer in the fall. And therefore I didn't bother to inquire what those prices are because that really wasn't part of our, going to be part of our conversation. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess I generally do have concern about where we're going to be at with all this stuff come springtime, uh, just simply on account, I guess it's worth uh, reminding the listeners that, that uh, anhydrous ammonia is the base stock for the manufacture of the other types of nitrogen fertilizer. So in all cases, uh, I should say in most cases, uh, your anhydrous is always going to be the cheapest because the other types are going to be processed beyond that. I think the exception to that uh, would just be some circumstances where maybe somebody had had uh, purchased something you know, ahead of time or pre-priced or, or you know, so, some kind of a peculiarity to the situation, but just uh, uh, under a, a straight out uh, normal circumstance, uh, anhydrous is always going to be the cheapest of the nitrogen fertilizers. And I talked to, well, like I said, I, I, we farm and I was in line one day at the elevator earlier this week and talked to a friend of mine that, that farms outside of Omaha. And he had talked to the local retailer and that he had said that the local price was over $1,200 a ton. So I think Jim is right in the fact that sometimes it takes a little bit for our prices to catch up or, you know, a week or two, maybe three behind at certain uh, points of the year, especially as the market moves either way, you know, up or down, although for the last year, it's just been up, but uh, it, it, sometimes it takes a while for the retailers to report to us what the actual price is. We always have to keep in mind though, that most of the stuff that's been done already was contracted sometime earlier, right? So, so if anybody comes in and buys a ton today or a, a, a volume of whatever product it is today, it's higher than if they contracted in, in last summer for, for the fall that just happened, right? So I would say most of the ammonia that went on this fall in my market was, you know, in the seven and $800 range. So. And it's worth reminding farmers that there is basis on fertilizer also, that, 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 uh, that the product is delivered from a factory or at a port and there is cost for transportation and shipping that. And the farther you get away from where that was uh, received or manufactured, the price is always going to be higher. And so, uh, you know, where we're at in Southern Minnesota, you know, we're, we're just farther away from that production than, than folks are in Missouri and, and uh, Nebraska. 
So why are fertilizer prices so high right now? You look at nitrogen. You know, we've had China pulling out of the marketplace. They're a major exporter. We've got European natural gas prices, which are sky high. They're normally single digits and they're 25 MMBTU. That shut that down. You've got Russia putting caps on exports. You've got Egypt putting caps on exports. We had Hurricane Ida uh, go back to the Derecho event of last fall. That made grain prices go up. And when we look at today, the other side of it is a lot of people are drawing correlations to 2008. And that's a perfect thing to do. We learn from history. We don't want to repeat the sins of the past. But the main difference we want to know between 2008 and 2021, 08 was demand driven. There was never a period in time when you couldn't find product. Now, your price might go up 10, 20, 30 bucks a ton in a 24-hour period, but you could still find it. This year, this is supply driven. This is extremely tight. It'd be also good to add in just the, the fact of the energy costs. You mentioned the natural gas, right? Natural gas is higher here as well. So cost production for domestic producers is up as well. But, but if you just put it in, well, actually, if you look at coal prices in China, that's a big factor too. It seems kind of weird, but a lot of the production in China on, uh, is driven by coal. It's, it's produced using coal. So that those kind, all those little things, like you said, perfect storm add up to what's going on here. And that's energy prices is is primarily the reason why though that some of these countries are limiting exports because when energy prices go up they they re, they either close plants down or, or reduce their production rates or whatever i'm guessing here but i'm guessing like china right now is probably 50 to 55 percent of their normal production rate on urea china you know if china's running at 90 percent less they're probably producing 200,000 tons a day so just calculate that out. That's a lot taken out every day and they're not exporting. So, so just kind of out of curiosity, uh, if you guys, uh, I'm, I'm kind of maybe putting you on the spot, but what percentage of our, uh, I guess, specifically the nitrogen fertilizer is being produced domestically? I know we still have a fair amount of capacity for anhydrous ammonia production here uh, versus how much is coming in through the ports. We are, so it depends on the product, of course, right? But when you look at the urea side, we're still a net importer of, I think we've got our number this year. We start off at 5 million ton before Hurricane Ida, Weaver plant issues, Port Neal plant issues, Oklahoma plant issues. And we've moved that closer to like a 5.25, 5.5 million ton import to meet our demand in the spring based on 91 million acres of corn and wheat and soybean, the whole, where we've got the mix right now. Uh, UAN. We can be self-sufficient. Now, last few years, we've actually imported 3 million ton and we've exported a million ton. Uh, it's true. It's truly a global market. I don't care what product you're talking about, but nitrogen for sure, right? Urea is the biggest traded global fertilizer there is. So some of the trouble with, with ports that have, has been all over the news and most of that is related to container ships and merchandise. Is this having any kind of a ripple effect uh, into fertilizer imports too? Is there reason to suspect that beyond uh, just simply uh, global supply demand that actually physically getting it here is going to turn into a problem? I am not foreseeing our having an issue. I think ultimately speaking, North America is a very popular spot to send fertilizer because we're a very safe haven as far as paying our bills. Everything international uh, fertilizer is trade on USD until it reaches internal to that country. So we're a destination people want to go to. I think it's going to get tight. Um, I think this India tender is going to go a long way in wiping out a lot of the excess world inventories through January 1st. 
And then so world producers are going to start January 1 saying, I'm just produce. I can sell what I produce. I'm not long a lot of product. At the same point, the world wakes up. You've got U.S., Canada, Brazil, uh, Europe, India, Asia, all these locations all start stepping up and buying. And we get into a pattern where all of a sudden it, it kind of becomes like eBay, if you will. Eric Gold Produce can sit there and say, hey, I've got a J- January 40,000 ton, uh, January 15 loader. Who will give me 950? Who's going to give me 960? Who's going to give me 965? And it's going to go to whoever the best destination is, the best netback. But I think ultimately speaking, we will be able to afford it. What the prices are today is what it's going to be for spring. Because if you wait and try to buy something in April, you, first of all, you don't know if you're going to get it, right? Secondly, it's going to be, it could be priced higher, but you have no idea if you're going to be able to get the product or priced lower, sorry. But you have no idea if you're going to get the product. So at some point, this, this whole market's going to change, right? We've seen, well, me personally, I've seen some signals that uh, you know, that start to show that maybe there'd be a turnaround in the next number of months, where this could be, you know, changing. But um, I never thought it was going to get to where it was, where it is today either, right? So I, I can't, I can't predict that. But that's, you know, signals is what are what we watch for. So, can you talk a little bit about uh, the price ratios and why that's an important metric to watch? Well, that, that's the basis of how uh, nitrogen recommendations are made across the Midwest uh, in the majority of the, the Corn Belt states, at least from, uh, from uh, Minnesota down through uh, Missouri and then going eastward. And it just simply is, is looking at the, the, the price of nitrogen on a per pound basis versus the price of corn. And, and so the, the land-grant universities that make fertilizer recommendations have tables Based on those price ratios, uh, the the tables that have been in place now for about 15 years uh, that that and I think is pretty much every state uh, has uh, uh, curves response curves based on a 0.05, a 0.1, uh, 0.15, and 0.2 price ratios. And so, you know, given that current price of of uh, anhydrous, uh, you know, with where we're at uh, here in Minnesota, you're you're looking at uh, roughly speaking eighty some cents uh, per pound of nitrogen. Uh, in Minnesota, we recommend that you add a nitrification inhibitor to that, uh, and that's uh, the, the price of that is is on a per acre basis. It's kind of regardless of how much nitrogen you put on, and so the actual price of that per pound is kind of fluctuates based on your nitrogen rate, but roughly speaking, it's about eight and a half cents. And so that, that puts our, uh, our price in at about 90 cents a pound for nitrogen right now. Uh, that's going on, the anhydrous is going on this fall. I had uh, checked uh, spot delivery uh, at a local ethanol plant and, and they were had corn at uh, 545. And uh, they actually uh, uh, they actually didn't have uh, much of a, a difference uh, when you looked at their futures contract out the next uh, nine months or so. The price was kind of fairly similar, so that put us at a price price ratio of 0.16 or pretty close to that 0.15 price ratio. Uh, historically, over the last uh, 15 to, to 20 years that we've been using this uh, MRTN method. Uh, we have seen price ratios holding in at about 0.1. Uh, anytime they deviate from that, they tend to correct uh, fairly quickly. And so we are over that point right now. Uh, but this is not unprecedented territory from a price ratio standpoint, from a fertilizer price uh, overall per ton standpoint. 
Uh, yes, we're at record highs, but as far as its relationship to corn price, uh, it is uh, not necessarily out of the question. And, and so at least on the Minnesota side, if we look at the difference between a uh, 0.15 price ratio compared to the 0.1, which is traditional, you'll see that the rate recommendations go down about 15 pounds an acre. It's not real significant, but it is some. And uh, kind of a reminder that uh, these, you know, the states that use the uh, the MRTN method that we have a rate window and that is on the economic side uh, based on our research is plus or minus $1 of profitability. And so that 15 pounds is keeps you right in the same window basically that you were at before, it just slides it down a little bit. And so certainly individual farmers need to be just sort of assessing where they're at with that. Uh, how are farmers reacting to the high prices and fertilizer availability concerns? I think different than, than years past, uh, I think the uh, social media, just media in general, I think they're, they're probably more aware of it today than they have been in the past. We've been getting a lot of questions. Normally, uh, I shouldn't say normally, a lot of the times we have to go bring it to them. Uh, it feels like a lot of them are bringing it to us right now. So I think that's really good. It's everybody's paying attention. So I think that's a plus. The reaction that they have can sometimes be somewhat emotional. But I believe as uh, uh, we move, as uh, growers continue to be become more sophisticated, uh, I don't know if that's, that means they're larger or whatever else, but um, they start to look more at as, as a business, as Jasper say, how much is it gonna cost me for my inputs to get what I need to get out of it, right? So um, um, in, for the most part, I think it's been pretty calm thus far, but prepay for next spring is just starting, right? So we're just starting to book those kind of those those tons or those uh, acres for spring, and I would say that the orders are starting to come in. So um, uh, the ones that are paying attention, they're coming in. We haven't noticed any trends yet, but just from the emotional side of it, my guess is this is my total guess at this point. You're probably going to find out that you know if you're going to pay a hundred percent or more of what you paid last year for a ton of fertilizer. You know, you might not, I mean, they're all going to use nitrogen. They're all going to, but you might cut back a little bit on the P and K. Now it's, you know, it's all depends on where you're at in the country. For us, you know, over 80% of our P and K gets put on in the fall. So they, so the guys that did that, you know, are sitting pretty good. Now they can concentrate on getting their nitrogen, you know, if they need more nitrogen for the spring, get that taken care of. So um, that's encouraging. And, you know, obviously the stuff that they did this fall is priced differently than the stuff that the guys are going to have to use in the spring. So um, in general, though, I think that right now it's, it's kind of unknown what the response is going to be. We can make guesses. They, you know, every guess we make, we tend to be surprised. So, you know, as an example, we were so dry this summer, yields are going to be horrible. Everybody was surprised how good it was, right? So. Yeah, I would uh, dovetail what Jim said from talking to uh, farmers and, and retailers like I do uh, nearly every week. Um, I talked to a handful of farmers uh, well, probably a month ago, roughly now, and and uh, we talked a little bit about what these higher prices have done to their plans. And for the most part, they I think majority of the guys that, that I've talked to were going to stay on course. Um, but there was some adjustments that was probably going to be made in some areas for some operations. 
Uh, and what Jim said, it, it's probably going to be P and K. It's going to be P and K that is cut back. And it's probably going to be farms that, you know, they soil test every year. And the last time they soil test, it was, uh, you know, above the maintenance level and can go a year without uh, uh, applying P and K that that's probably going to be going forward what some farmers, how they tighten the belt, if you will, for their fertilizer budgets. Say they're just going to try to get by here and there without having to put PNK on some of their fields. But but as far as nitrogen goes, I, I don't think there's going to be anybody. I mean, as far as like what Jim said, the yields were good. If you start cutting back on nitrogen, obviously that's going to lower yields immensely. I mean, it, it really is what it's going to do. So so I, I, I don't have my crystal ball either. I, I can't tell you this is 100% what's going to happen. But if I had to guess from talking to farmers that I, I've talked to this fall, that's going to be the one area that maybe they decide to uh, clip. The situation in, in uh, southern Minnesota is difficult to gauge. There's been an increasing trend towards split application and in-season application, uh, as well as uh, we've, because of water quality concerns, we've been strongly discouraging fall application also. And so it, it's sort of my perception that there was a lot less anhydrous applied this fall than, than there has, but it's hard to know if that was intentional or if that's just simply following the trend that we've seen the last several years. Yeah, Brad, I, I would say that the, as far as what got put on this fall, we're not done yet. We still got a little ways to go. So we got a little weather here yesterday or last night. We're crossing our fingers that we get a little more time yet, but uh, um, we got a little bit work to do. Um, but I would say that in general, well, I'll put it this way. We've, uh, we've equaled what we did last year and we got a ways to go yet on ammonia. And I believe every one of our neighbors around us is, is the same scenario. Um, we did some research and again, uh, we looked at history to try and draw correlations. And so we did a, a pretty deep dive into that 0789 period and tried to ascertain, okay, what did we actually cut back? What did we lose or did we lose anything? Are we just assuming that we did? And what we found is during that period, nitrogen demand went down 11%. But most of that was tied to the fact it was acreage lost. We dialed back the number of corn acres. We dialed back the number of bean acres because what they did was say, well, heck with it, these kind of prices plant soybeans. It's a cheap route forward. Phosphate demand, 32% lower. Most of that demand destruction was exactly that. It was not acres loss. It was demand destruction. Potash was down 40%. Now, again, 2008 was different than where we're at today. You know, to my earlier point of we put on a little more, we're going to put on a little more ammonia than we did last year. It's not the most we put on, but it'll be more. But over this last few weeks, We've had a lot of lot of growers come back into us and and uh, uh, put additional P and K on. Uh, ask if they can buy more ammonia. We haven't been able to sell more, but ask if they can buy more ammonia. And we're getting growers that are calling us that haven't called us in years. So I'm guessing they're calling every dealer, right? So they they're they're very aware of what's going on and they're trying to you know to uh, uh, um, do what they can to. Uh, fight the higher prices that are coming at them. So, yeah. So, so Jim, I guess to take that just one little step further. So, in your interaction with with these farmers, uh, is is that then largely driven by fear of whether the fertilizer is going to even be available, or or at the very least, much more expensive yet in the spring? And they're they're just simply figuring, well, we'll just do it now and and bite the bullet. 
Well, I think that's a great question because I believe there's a there's a somewhat misperception out there that supply is going to be an issue. I believe supply could be an issue, but at this point, it feels like, at least from my perspective, that we're going to get everything we need. And in fact, we we got most of what we need purchased for next spring already. Um, but um, so I think there's maybe a little bit of misperception, but it's also hey, they understand what the prices are doing and what um, you know retail prices are listed at for fall compared to what they're going to be for spring. And in some cases, like us, we have a spring price sheet out there. It is higher than what our fall price sheet is, right? So they're seeing those kind of things and we're picking up more business because of that. What should growers be thinking about in terms of fertilizer purchasing decisions and nutrient management planning this fall and next spring? I'd just say, uh, you know, there's there's one message that we've been giving farmers for a while now, and that is that just simply historically following a drought year, we tend to see some residual nitrogen that is not a credit we normally look at being able to count on having. Uh, but when we see a moisture deficit in the soil profile, uh, there is definitely the opportunity to, to potentially capture that. Uh, we do soil testing religiously for PNK. Doing it for nitrogen is not something that that is most farmers are in the practice of, but uh, very specifically for corn on corn acres and and acres that have a history of manure application, uh, it would be prudent to take a soil test this spring and see if there's the ability to credit some nitrogen that's residual from this last year. You know, what I would encourage growers to do is obviously get in and work with their, their salesperson at their local dealer as soon as they can, because um, understanding what your costs are, working with your lenders, those kind of things are really are probably more important than ever right now. You know, you got to understand what you can afford and what you can't afford and start working out what the options are. I think everybody would agree with this as far as retail management goes. So growers need to be aware or understand the fact that retailers are not going to take a lot of risk, right? There's a lot at stake here. So if, if you own a, if you own an $800, $800 a ton, a uh, pile of urea in your bin, you are wanting to get rid of that, right? So you do not want to carry that to spring. Not saying prices are going to fall $500. They could. That's the point. They could. And we're not going to take that kind of risk, right? So um, we already saw that this fall. We have dealers all around us that are not selling anymore where we, we have a little here left and a little here there and whatever to sell yet. Um, there's, there's dealers out there that are, um, uh, what, unfortunately I hate to bring the word up, but are, are declaring force majeure. I don't know if they quite understand what force majeure means, but, um, they're attempting to do that. Meaning they have sold something, but they're not going to honor it because they don't want to take that risk to bring those high dollar prices in, or they sold it cheaper than what they can buy it at now. Those, those kind of things. So I just want to make the point that. Do not wait to the last second because your retailer might not have it. I'm curious, Jim, what happened in 08 and in 09? It, it's similar, like what Josh said. You being a retailer, I mean, is that essentially the, the baseline is that you need to make sure that uh, you have it sold at a certain price to make sure what happens in 08 doesn't happen in 2021 then? I would say... Almost every retail dealer in 2009 had to write down their inventory dramatically. 
then and there and I think Brad or somebody mentioned it earlier. There's there was dealers that closed their doors because of that. That that was part of the off-air discussion. But yeah, I I, I was familiar with smaller independent dealers that just got uh, got stuck sitting on piles of fertilizer and the price dropped and they just literally couldn't sell it for what they paid for it. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a catch 22 on your size, because if you're, if you're really big, your losses are really big. And if you're really small, you might not be able to, to weather that either. So, so in both, in both directions, uh, carrying over a lot of inventory with high prices is, is just not something we would look for retailers to do. Yeah. Just, uh, I was a wholesaler at that time. And uh, I won't give a lot of details, but I was uh, I was shipping potash many states away to lose a hundred dollars less than I would if I had it in the shed I was that it was in. So, hundred dollars a ton is a lot. And that's another reason why retailers and farmers have to have good communication back and forth. I mean, it's good to have good communication, period. But in these high times, if you will, of what's going on, having good communications between the the two factions is pretty essential, I would guess, for you, Jim, right? Yeah, yeah, correct. So um, luckily, we have people like Josh and other information manufacturers and stuff that we work with that we share a lot of information on and, and try to stay up on the on, you know, everything we can, you know, internationally and local and domestically. I, I mentioned earlier the increasing trend towards splitting in-season applications. I guess uh, uh, obviously we're not going to put you guys on the spot to predict uh, uh, what that's going to look like when we get to side dress time in June. But I guess uh, you know, just simply from a, a risk management standpoint, what do you think that looks like from a for a farmer? to be sitting here saying, well, geez, normally I put on half my end in June as, as a liquid uh, uh, side dress or I top dress some urea at that time. Uh, is, is that, uh, do you think that's an overly risky strategy? If, if, if that's what they've been doing now for the last several years, do they need to be thinking about making adjustments or is it kind of, uh, it'll be there, steer the course. It just might be more expensive. Really, really good question. So um, first thing I think of on that, Brad, is that uh, um, um, we'll get into all the supply chain issues and things like that and, and, and labor force issues. So uh, everybody right now, as you know, every, we all know this, it's hard to find people, right? So um, to be equipped to manage those split applications as a retailer is going to be harder this year than it probably ever has. So because we can't find enough people to run the machines. So the people that are doing the pre-plant floater work, right? So we're you're, you're, we're going out and do the custom floater work that for them on the dry fertilizer. Those people are probably going to have to move over to the spray machine sometime in May. We don't have people to backfill some of those things um, like we have in the past. Part-time people, you can't find them anywhere. So that's one. That's the first thing I think of. Now, supply-wise, my gut feeling is the, the product will be there. But there is, this year probably brings up more doubt on that than we have seen in a long time. So, so it sounds almost like you're saying probably more risk uh, if you're having somebody uh, custom top dress than if you yourself are doing side dress with a liquid rig. I think that's that's a little bit of what I'm interpreting there. Yep, uh, that's yeah, that's a good summary. Liquid is probably the hardest one to figure out because we have so few players in that in that production realm 
controlling, I hate to say that, but controlling those, you know, those products. Yep. Um, as a retailer, it's harder and harder every quarter to find what you normally could find before because they're controlling it better and releasing it at different times and so forth. So our retail um, is, is fortunately uh, probably 85% of our liquid needs purchased. But I, uh, I guarantee you there is a lot of people out there that traditionally would have a portion of their purchases in place right now that had, don't have anything. So um, it could be, end up being a problem, but again, my gut is it'll be fine if you want to pay for it. <laughs> and I had retailers tell me over the years that uh, the nitrogen market was almost a three-legged stool analogy in the fact that you would have the different forms of nitrogen. And as long as everybody used the same amount of that they would normally use of the three, it was okay. But when something happens in the market and all of a sudden everybody starts switching the forms over to the different forms, all of a sudden the stool falls apart because all of a sudden if there's a shortage of one, everybody goes the other one and it just undoes the balance, if you will. I don't know if, you, if that is actually true, Jim, or but that's something that I've had retailers tell me over the years. Well, that does happen, but I think it probably is is less than what maybe we talk about because if you look at if you look at Minnesota, really heavy urea user, right? To get north of the Minnesota River, it's almost all urea. Um, uh, south, there's a little bit of UAN, but the people that do urea aren't equipped to manage to run their business. Use going to aren't equipped to go to UAN. You go to Illinois and Indiana and Ohio and Southern Michigan, it's all UAN and they don't, they're not equipped to switch to urea, right? So they might be able to a little bit, but not, not, not dramatically. So I, I will say one of the things, I, I guess I'm a little more nervous on it, but I'm looking at it from an anhydrous perspective. Uh, we have, we are forecasting a 2 million ton fall application period. That will be considered normal for us if we hit the number. But the problem is if we have like what we had, was it fall of 17 or 18? Just a tremendously poor fall run. I mean, we didn't get more than like 1.3 million ton. Well, now all of a sudden you start doing that math and it gets a little nasty come springtime. Uh, the general rule of thumb is now this depends on where you are. Like Jim said, you know, a dry guy can't easily go liquid. A liquid guy can't always go easily dry. But there are some limitations there. But for every ton of fall anhydrous that doesn't get put on, 50% stays anhydrous in the spring, which is added demand. 25% goes to urea, 25% goes to UAN. And that's only part of the equation. That 25% that goes to UAN takes 2.4 ton of 32% to make up for one ton of anhydrous. It takes two ton of urea to make up that one ton of anhydrous. So you can see where these numbers start to bloom very, very, very quickly if we have a really poor start to the season. All right. Uh, any last words from the group? Well, I just say we'll be uh, we'll be out on the road uh, doing our normal meeting season this year. It's it's our intention to be uh, after our uh, our uh, COVID layoff. It's our intention to be back out there talking uh, crop management this winter. And so this is a topic that you'll you'll be hearing plenty about. What is the best decision for my farm? Not for your neighbors, not for the next state over, not for the next country or for whatever it might be. Make the decision that's best for you. Nitrogen's high. Can I make money though, buying it, selling my grain? Okay, go do that. Or if it's no, the answer is no, I'm still negative. There's your answer. Don't get caught up in the emotion. of try. It's, it's a lot easier for me to sit here and say that when my butt's on the line, when my, I'm not the one having to answer to the bank. But if you can take that emotion out of your decision-making. 
I would say that what I'm watching for is is what happens over the next couple next weeks and months if prices do continue to go higher and higher. Uh, every week since the first week of December of 20, we've had higher fertilizer prices every single week. You, you know, week to week uh, that we track the retail uh, prices. So Jim had mentioned that there, maybe there are signs that uh, perhaps things might be changing and, and, and maybe prices won't continually to go higher and higher like we've seen for nearly a whole calendar year already. Um, that's going to be interesting to see if and when fertilizer prices stop climbing. And then, you know, if, if that does happen, then do we see a period of lower prices or that they're steady or if we plateau? Uh, that's that would be what I would be curious about come in the coming weeks of the end of 2021 and into 22. I think short term, uh, there's still price increases, right? It's the long term I'm talking about. Signals like uh, energy costs. If 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 coal's going down in China, you know it's been at record highs because the supply was low and they're not running production plants and things like that. If coal goes down that's a signal, right? Because now it's more attractive for them to start up their plants. You know, we never mentioned, <laughs> never mentioned the Olympics, but surprisingly the Olympics are, are a factor in fertilizer prices. Because if you shut down your coal driven uh, urea production plants, you're not creating pollution. And once, you know, and what did we see last time they had the Olympics pollution issues. So it's not just fertilizer manufacturing, but a lot of manufacturing in general, they're, they're managing that. So, you know, it's, you know, it's hard to believe, but yes, Olympics is a factor in fertilizer costs as well. Well, I think one of my, my things that I want to remind farmers again, I talked about this earlier is that we, we do have a fair amount of residual nitrogen left over from last year's crop. Um, some of the early soil test numbers that we've seen indicate that we've got uh, 80 pounds or even more of residual nitrogen in a lot of our farm fields. And so one of the ways that we can address these high fertilizer prices is simply to soil test for that, take credit for it, and reduce our rates. Now, um, that's a little bit in, in contradiction with the uh, need to actually be acquiring and speaking for that fertilizer to make sure that it's available to you. Uh, but we need to strike a balance with that. Um, you know, crop prices, commodity prices are pretty good right now, and it really wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, suit us well to just turn around and, and give that all back away uh, if we could be making management choices to actually cap capture greater profit. You know, likewise on the P and K side, I hear a lot of farmers talk from one year to the next about building soil test values of P and K. And how that's money in the bank. Well, if you've got money in the bank, don't you want to return that money when it's at its highest possible return? And that would be right now when these prices are this high. It's a good year. If you've got uh, sell test values that are in the, the high, very high range, just skip the year and, and take a profit on that and come back and, and build those back up again when fertilizer prices are cheaper. Uh, uh, it just sort of uh, it just sort of makes sense, you know. I think one of the things that we heard from our our guests here today is that it does not sound like there's going to be major issues regarding fertilizer availability. That while maybe on a worldwide basis there are problems with with the overall supply of fertilizer, uh, most of our guests seem to indicate that we have adequate domestic. Uh, production of fertilizer, as well as the United States having a strong enough place in the world market 
that will get ours. Uh, they seem to indicate that the prices probably are not going to go down. Uh, and, and I guess we can figure out how to manage that. We've been talking about how to manage that now for quite a while. Uh, but I think one of the take-home points from that all is that farmers do need to be thinking about how much fertilizer they need and probably booking that fertilizer that a lot of dealers are going to be locking in their supplies for next year. Uh, the reason for that being they're at, at some pretty significant risk as far as buying supplies that they do not have spoken for. If, if they sit on inventory and the price goes down, they're going to be stuck selling that for a loss. And so um, a lot of our dealers are probably going to only acquire what they've got bought, and that's about it. And so if, if you don't uh, come in and pre-price it, despite the fact that it's, it's high priced right now, uh, you might not get it. Now, the, the, the exception to that may be that late season, uh, the side dress stuff that we're talking about in June. I know one of our speakers mentioned that we're fairly self-sufficient on uh, production of UAN in this country. Uh, as well as the fact that that's getting out quite late into the year. If we're going to start seeing some changes in, in the marketplace and so forth, it's, it's likely that, that uh, those will be realized by then. And so I, I guess I wouldn't get myself too concerned about that. But I, then again, I'm not a, a fertilizer market expert. So, uh, you know, I guess take that for what it's worth, um, you know, and make your own decisions accordingly. So I, I guess, uh, you know, overall, I think uh, the, the bottom line is that, that uh, fertilizer probably is going to be available. It's going to be higher priced and that farmers should be coming up with a strategy to address it. All right. That about does it for the podcast this week. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, AFRAC, for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>